Welcome to episode 55 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and uh, I'm a professor of communication studies, and this is a podcast about communication skills or communication practices. So in our last episode, we were talking about the general rule that attention is persuasion. And there is a, a corollary to that, which is also quite simple, and today's episode might be relatively short, uh, but it, it kind of gets at the darker side of persuasion or persuasive communication practices. But uh, the, the complementary rule to attention is persuasion is quite simple. It's repetition is persuasion. And today I'm going to talk about repetition and why it works so effectively and how it works so effectively and why it's so important for persuasive communication. Before I get there, though, uh, I want to kind of say a few things about... Uh, how persuasion is taught and why it's taught in universities. So most uh, students and all students and all undergraduate students in my university now have to take a, a communication course. And lots and millions and millions of students take a composition or public speaking in the U.S. And usually what happens in public speaking classes and in composition classes and in basic communication classes is that people try really hard to tell students uh, what ethically good pra communication practices look like and then how to use them or employ them. So just a really simple example, plagiarism is bad and proper citation is good. So there's a kind of morality to the distinction between plagiarism and, and proper citation. and and. Uh, it is the case that in communication classes are also ethics classes. At least I, I think that that's true. Um, but what that means is that rarely does a communication professor or a composition professor or a rhetoric professor ever stop and say, hey, you know what? Um, using fallacies or plagiarism is really bad, but it also really works. <laughs> it's tremendously persuasive. Uh, I think there's often about... Uh, fallacies. So I teach my students fallacies. Um, and I tell my students that if you want to build a persuasive rational argument, you have to avoid fallacies. And I know I used to teach public speaking also. And, and in that class, we avoid fallacies, etc. Uh, but the truth is that we live in a, in a world where everyone around us is using fallacious reasoning to tremendous effects, uh, to really powerful, really, really important effects. Um, I think sometimes we ought to teach our students why that is um, and how fallacious reasoning can be so effective without also telling them maybe they, they shouldn't do it or there are, it's questionable whether they should do it. Uh, anyway, I'm saying this because I'm the kind of, as this podcast has made clear, I'm the kind of person that thinks about communication uh, as a, process, a practice of producing effects on, on others. So I have to take seriously the kinds of communication practices that have the most profound or lasting or influential or impactful effects on others, uh, not just the ones that are morally or ethically virtuous. Um, 
Okay, so in the last episode, when we talked about attention as persuasion, one of the reasons that fallacious reasoning works so well or is so impactful on audiences is that fact that attention is persuasion. So uh, a fallacy, when it's used by in public, in a kind of public display by someone in a position of power, draws attention to some feature of reality and then frames reality around that thing or, and then frames everyone's perspective around, around that thing that they've drawn attention to, regardless of whether it's fallacious reasoning or not. I, I think the most famous example of, of this is during the Vietnam War. We had a whole, uh, we had a whole, America at least had a whole uh, uh, international policy on called the domino effect that was just based on concretely fallacious reasoning. It wasn't the case that if one country fell to communism, others would fall behind them like dominoes. That's just a prime example of a fallacy, but it was a powerful driver of public discourse. And uh, and public discourse was framed around arguments like that. Okay, so attention is persuasion is one rule of thumb that helps explain that. Repetition is persuasion is the second rule of thumb that helps explain that. So when we repeat ourselves often, it works. And I don't, I, it's, it's hard to get around this, but if you repeat the same message over and over and over again, it works. Now I wanna talk a little bit about, about why. This is a relatively simple insight, but the more complicated uh, issue has to do with why this works. So I had a friend recently asked me, uh, my friend has uh, older parents, you know, over 70 years old, and the parent is struggling with some things, and my friend wants th his parent to see uh, a therapist. And of course, this is like a lot to ask of a 70-year-old who's never been in therapy before, uh, never gone to visit a therapist before. How? So the question that was supposed to me is, how do I persuade my parent to, to see a therapist? And um, my answer is was to repeat yourself over and over and over again, and repeat in a frame of the virtues of the process and a kind of careful, so using the, the language of the last few episodes with care, with attention to detail, with, with attention to detail, with kind of rational paragraphs, but also repeat those things. You'll have to repeat them. Now, why do you have to repeat them so often? And my explanation has to do with how people are persuaded. Um, so I think I think that persuasion is more of an on-off switch than it is a kind of gradual zero to one hundred. Uh, and then when you get to 51%, someone has changed. It's not a process of gradualism. It's an on-off binary state. So here's what happens when you try and convince your, your parent who's over 70 to see, see a therapist for the first time. The first time you bring it up, you're like, you know, dad, mom, I, I think maybe you should think about seeing a therapist. A therapist might be really helpful, might help you make you feel better about some things in your life. Um, I know other people that have had a lot of success going to therapy. And then your parent says back, therapist, no, I don't have any money for that. Uh, therapists are, are crazy. They they can take me off to the loony bin. They'll put me in a straight chat. So you get a lot of irrational, crazy responses, right? So the key in for the process of persuasion in that case is to not react to the crazy responses, to not engage with the way your interlocutor has chosen to frame or articulate positions around your suggestion. So you just sort of say, oh, okay, I hear you're a little upset about the idea. Um, you seem to have some concerns. Those are good concerns. But therapy is really beneficial in all these sorts of ways. And then you leave. You just go away and ignore it for a while. 
And then a couple days later, you're talking on the phone, you hear your mother or your father, and you're like, hey, you know, have you thought at all about therapy? It's a really good idea. It helps in these sorts of ways. And then you get a bunch of uh, another irrational response. Well, Jimmy's daughter went to went to therapy and, you know, she committed suicide. Like you get an irrational case in response and you think, oh, well, Jimmy's daughter had a rough time. That sounds really horrible. I can see why you'd be concerned about that. But here are the benefits of, of therapy. And you repeat yourself again. Now, old people, of course, it takes even longer to convince them of something. So the question is, when is the, the switch going to be flipped? And that's something you don't have control over. You, you really can't control when the switch is going to be flipped. What you can control is what political uh, consultants call staying on message. If you stay on message and your message is carefully constructed and you repeat it over and over again, here's the kicker. Eventually the, flip, the, the switch will flip, especially if that person trusts you. And so in a father-daughter kind of relationship or a mother-son kind of relationship, a familial relationship, odds are the person trusts you. So you just have to stay on message and stay in your frame and then repeat that frame over and over again until at some point the person will, will you know, you'll call your mother or your father on the phone and your mom will be like, well, you know, I was thinking about looking up a therapist and you're going to be like, what just happened? This is crazy. Um, this happened actually the other day with, with my dean. I've been working on a project for uh, almost three years uh, for first year students. And I've been using certain language around that project over and over again, kind of repeating it over and over again in meetings to people. And then the dean was always a little reluctant. He didn't really understand what the pro program was. He never really, I never really heard him fully support it. He was okay with it. He was just kind of, uh, deans are busy people. He had lots going on. And then one day in a meeting, he just repeats the, a phrase I've been using for two or three years that uh, one feature of the program is really, really important and critical. And I just looked around like, oh my God, what just happened? Well, what happened was the, the switch flipped for him. It wasn't a gradual building up process. It was a process of him hearing the message over and over and over again. And then finally the switch flipped and he was convinced. Now let's look at the worst possible case of this and that's Donald Trump. So right now, if you look at Donald Trump's Twitter feed and go through his last few tweets or whenever you see him on the news, he says over and over again, over again, no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, no collusion. It's the most unsophisticated and stupid repetition that you can possibly come up with. And guess what? <laughs> Millions of people believe him, despite the fact that it's entirely false. It's totally false. There's an avalanche of evidence of collusion. There's so much collusion, it's incredible. Like how can this man stand in front of us and say there's no collusion over and over again? And the, the audience, the media just sort of sits there dumbly saying, and then they ask questions. And this is the, the attention is persuasion uh, problem. So they get into a, a conversation about whether there was or wasn't collusion, I, which I can't understand. I mean, there was so much collusion, it's, it's incredible. So. Um, repetition even works when you're, the, the point for Trump is that repetition even works when you're denying reality. Uh, when you're simply saying up is down and down is up, if you repeat it enough times, you can persuade enough people. And of course, this is a, a silly example because he hasn't persuaded the vast majority of Americans. Uh, he's persuaded a small minority, probably about 10% of Americans or about 35% of the voting population of Americans really believe that there was no collusion despite the overwhelming <laughs> ample clear crystal clear evidence of extensive collusion um so it, it's it's not the the best example of a massively persuasive campaign 
But at least Donald Trump's rhetorical genius is to know that repetition is persuasion, even if that repetition is the opposite of reality and is super dumbed down and um, and unsophisticated and um, and unclear and expressed with a little degree of care, uh, it can still work. So um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not suggesting to my friend that they just stare at their parent and like an idiot like Trump. I just say therapist, therapist over again, over again, like Trump says, no, no collusion, no collusion. But I am saying even if they did do that, even if they did it in the simplest, um, most moronic fashion, the way that Trump does it, it's likely the case that the repetition will wear itself on the audience, um, especially in the presence of trust. So the other thing with Trump is, of course, he has this kind of base of 30, 35 million people that really do trust him. They really do believe in him. And in the presence of trust, repetition is a surefire path to success. It's why I know that with my friend, eventually he will convince his his uh, his, his parent to to go to therapy if he just stays on message and stays in frame, um, because that trust is necessary for repetition to to do its work. Um, okay, so uh, I, I wanted to to say a couple of other things about this. Um, why does repetition work so well? Uh, here's the bad news. We are apes, uh, or like we're animals. And we're the kind of animals that learn through repetition. Uh, and learn, and we learn through repetition because the thing that we see repeated is the easiest thing for us to imitate. So one of the most, one of the things I just cannot ever get my head around if I turn on CNN and watch a little bit of the news, CNN thinks that it needs to be balanced. So they always have a Republican or a conservative on. And what does the conservative say? Well, there's no collusion and no obstruction. They repeat almost verbatim, word for word, plagiarized versions of what Donald Trump has had to say. Why? Because they're imitating him. They're imitating his rhetorical practice. And what are they most likely to imitate? They're most likely to imitate the thing that, that the person repeats most often. So, but because it's easy. And um, so this works in, in all sorts of ways. I worry, uh, I live in Canada, but I'm American, so I grew up playing baseball. And my youngest son right now is, is interested in baseball and he's trying to throw the ball around. And I really worry because most Canadians don't know how to throw a baseball. It's atrocious out there when I, when I look at it. And so he's seeing his classmates and the other kids throw a baseball incorrectly. And none of these Canadian kids he plays with will be any good. They'll never, they'll never be good at baseball because they don't know how to throw the ball correctly. So I went out with them and I was like, okay, you watch me throw over and over again. I tried to throw the ball to him a hundred times because I wanted to see the way I throw it in hopes that he'll imitate my throwing, which is the, the proper way to throw. But knowing that he's got all these other kind of examples of how to throw from Canadians out there that are, are no good. So... It, uh, why am I saying this? Well, it becomes an enormous, enormous problem uh, for political discourse when Donald Trump repeats, uses repetition for persuasion over again, over again, no collusion, no collusion, and then CNN or a network circulates that repetition over and over again, and it allows for an audience to do only one of two things. One, because attention is persuasion, I must enter the frame uh, under which uh, the Trump has constructed a selection of reality and drawn attention to a feature of reality and then respond to that 
selection or, or, or piece of reality. The, the second thing it forces me, or, or the second thing that happens is that a whole bunch of other people start imitating or mirroring Trump's language, and then the circulation of it expands, which is what, when they call Twitter kind of an echo chamber or, or social media an echo chamber, that's what they mean. They mean people grasp onto something that they can imitate and then repeat that thing. And Trump's for rhetorical genius. He's, he knows repetition is persuasion. So he seeks out a few key phrases that he can repeat over and over and over again, and then watch as other people repeat those in, in through the media systems. And then those things get imitated by his followers or his constituency, and then they they at the same time frame their that's that reality um, by drawing attention to some feature of it. I mean, there was massive collusion, massive collusion. There's like hundreds of pages of documentation of the collusion that existed. Yet millions of people think that there was no collusion. Um, so if you believe that you can't convince your seven-year-old parent to go see a therapist. I think you're just flat out wrong. If Donald Trump can convince 35 million people that up is down and down is up, just by virtue of, of repeating a simple slogan over and over again, it's not that complicated. You can do it. Most people don't have the patience for the kind of repetition that's required for the process of persuasion. And most so, so the problem is most of us get drawn into the reaction. So let's say I'm trying to convince my parents of something I say, you know, mom, you sh I think you should see a therapist. It's a really good idea. Therapy can be really beneficial to you. And my mom is, says, oh, no, 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 I can't see a therapist. What if, a th what if the therapist carts me off in a straitjacket right to the mental hospital? Okay, so my inclination as a communicative agent in that interaction might be like, mom, you're being ridiculous. Nobody's going to cart you off into a straitjacket. That's not how straitjacket works. And okay, now I'm in a conversation about straitjackets mental hospitals, mental illness, and I, I've rewarded her crazy response to my suggestion by entering into conversation with it, and I've lost the opportunity to repeat my original position. And lots of people do this all the time. I sit in meetings and I watch it happen. So, you know, one person in a meeting says A, and then the other person doesn't like it, so they react to A, and then they engage A. And as soon as they react to and engage with A, They've lost the, the frame and they've lost the ability to repeat the central message that they wanted to repeat. If you resist that and stay on message and just repeat your message, if you just acknowledge it and say, oh, mom, that sounds like you've got some serious concerns there. But let me tell you about the process with a therapist. It looks like this. Here are the virtues of it. And my, my mom will try something else and re return. She'll be like, well, okay. But Jenny's daughter went. Uh, Jenny's daughter went to a therapist, and uh, then she was on Prozac for for thirty years. She'll have another emotional response, and so I, I've created another opportunity for me to engage with that frame, and I have to resist reacting to that and stay on my message to re repeat my message. So um, the second kind of rule of thumb, along with attention, is persuasion. Is that repetition is persuasion too, uh, because people. Uh, will because people will be persuaded more like a light switch on or off than like a gradual process over time and people imitate or or mirror or or react to the thing that gets repeated to them over and over and over again we're watching it right now as a as a human civilization and we're drowning in the dangers and the power of the of the process of repetition uh, it is absolutely in the, the public culture's best interest not to advertise or 
put on television Trump's tweets when he says no collusion, no obstruction. Every time those tweets go up on the air or or get repeated, you are benefiting his persuasive process and Trump is is winning the kind of war for persuasion. Uh, and it's because repetition is so effective or so impactful. Um, it's a sad and kind of dark and dangerous thing, uh, but it is powerful. So don't forget attention is persuasion and repetition is persuasion, especially in, in terms of, of message, message, uh, messaging to audiences. Okay, so that's it for episode 55. Um, I'll be back in episode 56 to talk some about trust because that is really what's underlying the, the persuasive process. So we're going to talk about trust next. Anyway, wait, uh, I hope you'll be back for episode 56. Thanks for listening.